love this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. You know, there's an issue that gay weddings actually propose is that if it's two guys, does a father pay for one of your weddings? And if it's two girls, whose father gets to pay for the wedding? Do they both get to? I think it depends if the parents are cool with the wedding in general. This, right? is, this is very true, depending, yeah. And if So that would be the to. first hurdle to cross. <laughs> yeah, but let's assume that all parents are accepting of their children who they love. How do you like that? How do you go overgo that tradition? Like, how do you figure? I don't that know. Out? I don't just. I don't think that's a tradition anymore because weddings have gotten so expensive. Like, I think now it's more traditional to have both families chip in, and then the bride and groom also chip in. Usually, it's like one third, one third, one third. Mm, so you don't think that people are really uh, big on tradition anymore? If you're if you're rich, maybe, but most people are not. So mm, interesting because tradition has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. Yes. Yeah, the tradition of Father of the Bride movies that is apparently present in our society. Did you know that there are three of these films? One came out in 1950. Yeah. One came out in 1991. And then most recently in HBO Max, 2022's Father of the Bride. Yeah, so we're going to get all into that on our first full episode. You weren't here two weeks ago and I wasn't here last week. Uh, It's good to be back. So join us as we talk about weddings and traditions, everyone's favorite mm. topic. Sure. It's a summer summary. It's so summary, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. If I sound a little weird or if I'm just a little out of it, I just got my wisdom teeth removed and I'm in some pain. Uh, so, you know, just want to put that out there and give you guys a my sympathies. Yeah. Rolando uh, cannot sympathize with my pain, truly, because he does not know this pain. But you out there, if you've had this removed and you ever got dry socket, then you know exactly how this feels. Uh, but we'll leave that. I, at I that. just want to point out that you said that you don't know for sure that you have dry socket. You just <laughs> hype hypothesizing by the time this episode is out i will know and i will be proven right that i do have dry socket (laughs) hope well actually i i shouldn't hope for that because it's very dreaded Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. but yeah so how was your vacation um yeah no it was fine i uh actually was a guest on uh another podcast that pretty much pop Mm -hmm. i think uh yeah for jurassic world so that was fun I got to do that all during my vacation. Since I hadn't seen Lightyear, it kind of worked out. Eddie Eddie was none too pleased. It's just like, we're on a vacation and you're recording a podcast. I'm just like, this is my career now. This is who I am. Wow, you're making time for other people's podcasts while you're on vacation and not your own. Our listeners should I, definitely I, be I've offended already, by this. It, I had already seen Jurassic World, so that was like an easy thing. I had not had time. Like, leading up to the vacation, I was so busy, I didn't have time to watch Lightyear. Yeah. I still haven't seen Lightyear. Uh... Well, I mean, did you listen to my episode? You know I didn't. Yes, Let's I know you did. It's okay. I didn't I listen didn't even, to your episode. I don't even either. listen to my own episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, it's it was better than Jurassic World. I'll say that. Okay. In, I mean, in I my liked, opinion. Uh, Jurassic World was fine, so. That's so funny. It's like pretty universally 
hated and yet you're like it's it's, fine. it's not good <laughs> i think it's fine i think it's it's absolutely a enjoyable film and it seemed like all the critics that were on that pretty much pop with me agreed it's just like look we're not looking for oscar worthy an oscar worthy endeavor here we just want to see dinosaurs kill people and that's what we got yeah we did they kill enough did, people did they kill no enough? i don't know about that but <laughs> let's uh as my my baby cousin put it Less CGI robot, more dinosaurs eating people. Or like robotic girl or whatever, whatever she was. Uh, a clone, clone girl. She's a clone. I, I She's see a clone. how memorable this movie was. Maybe you guys should go back and listen to that episode. It was fun. We had Mackenzie on. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so today we're going to be doing three whole movies. And one of them is a classic black and white film. I'm so excited to get Rolando's thoughts on that. Thank God I saw it because <laughs> I didn't know that there was a uh, one that predates the 1991, 1991 one. Yeah. Right. So I was just like, let me just double check to see if I didn't miss another film. And I was like, oh, God, I had to watch another movie. And I did it right before our episode The because it's on HBO Max. It is. Yes, it is. Luckily, on thank HBO God. Max. Yeah, I guess this must be an HBO Max property, although the 1991 film is not on HBO Max. So. Yeah, I, they probably maybe they just own the rights after its merger with Turner Classics or maybe. Yeah, know. it's definitely Turner Classics. Thing. You know, this mm-hmm. actually this episode has a lot in common because I'm like, I feel like we did this before. But what we did was Cheaper by the Dozen, where we covered oh, three movies. Yeah. One of them was a 1950 movie. And then the second one was a Steve Martin movie. So it just it, well, uh, there's we've actually covered. This is our fourth Steve Martin film. Yeah, we recently we, did. It, yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. This year alone, like we had Cyrano, which Roxanne. Yes. Uh, another one with three movies. <laughs> another one with three I, films. The first film came out in 1950. Wow. Oh wow! Look at that. Uh, what was the? There's a fourth that we that I'm missing. We missed it. No, no, no. I'm missing. We did. We covered four. This is our fourth Steve Martin film this year. Hmm. I just don't. Cheaper by the Dozen, Roxanne. Father of the Bride. Uh. Oh, oh, well, I'm not counting. I'm not even counting. I, I wasn't even counting uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but it'll come to me. It'll come to me in the middle of this recording. Oh, we did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in the past. Yes, yes. But no, this year, I'm positive there was another one this year that we covered, but it'll come to me. Don't worry. Should we just look it up? <laughs> Get it over with? I, 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 fine, I'll look it up. Uh, Top Gun, Chippendale, Firestarter. Cheaper by the Dozen, Fresh Prince, The Batman. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just reading out the list of all the movies. See right now. Uh, Murder and Successful, Sex and the City, Macbeth, Scream, Harry Potter. Oh, I guess not. Maybe it wasn't this year then. Wow. Well, there you go. Maybe I was thinking of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Well, the fourth film we've ever done for the podcast, which might be... Uh, he might have just set a bar right there. Mm, yeah, for his work, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we don't think too fondly of Steve Martin. I like Steve Martin. Okay. <laughs> I've gotten I got nothing against Steve Martin films and uh I mean spoiler alert guys, I think this was, you know, the original uh not the original, I'm sorry, the 1991 uh Father of the Bride is absolutely fine. Mm, it's absolutely cute. Absolutely fine. Yeah. I would probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think this entire franchise is just can be just defined like that just they're fine. Yeah. Well, this is definitely like for a group it's like a genre within itself it's not technically rom-com it's kind of like the fam-com which is 
similar to rom-com and it's just meant to be kind of like comfort films comfort viewing that's mm-hmm. like meant to be relatable and about everyday struggles and uh that you can always just pick up and rewatch. nothing I get, yeah it's just it's this whole genre within itself that i am kind of a fan of but not it's not my go-to like it's meant to be something that you could put on in the background or just rewatch all the time and yet i don't find myself doing that with this kind of subgenre within a comedy do you uh i don't know is this I don't, i'm not i'm not big on rom-coms no yeah i guess rom-com famcom it, what like it's like a i said it's like more like a famcom i get yeah it's like a family comedy like i'm not no that's not my it's not my go-to uh genre mm-hmm. by any means are you reading a text or something no, no, no. I'm trying to see if, like, there was another film that I'm, like... <laughs> you seem very distracted. Another Steve Martin film. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm adamant. I'm just, like, yo, I did the math in my head. I know there's a fourth film out there. There, oh, well. there is. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and The Hustle. But... No. Not this There was year. another more recent one, I feel like. But, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I do think that the original film in the 1951 is something that not a lot of people... Uh, talk about everyone i feel like the 1991 one gets referenced or brought up a lot but yeah because i think steve martin it's a charming movie it is yeah it's perfectly charming. And, you know, it's really what it is mm-hmm. but i think i mean the 1991 1991 it's so hard to say 1991 film <laughs> i would say the 1999 one uh is a more or less the same film as the uh, 1950s just a little updated it is to to yes, to, no, it to is. yeah to reflect the times, but even then, like more or less, it's the same thing. And I would even make the argument the 2022 one, pretty much the same thing. Interesting. All right, so let's talk about these movies. So it's the most different, but it's not. It doesn't diverge that much. Mm, okay. So the 1950. Oh. Sorry, I kicked my dog back. Oh. <laughs> he was under. He was under me, and I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the worst. I I do that sometimes. I've done that to my animal, and it's just the worst feeling. Um. So the 1951 is an MGM production, the biggest movie studio back in the day, directed by Vincent Minnelli, who we now know as Liza Minnelli's father and Judy Garland's husband, second husband, Uh, and a a huge film director within his own right, directed Meet Me in St. Louis, um, The Bad and the Beautiful, Some Come Running, Gigi. I mean, he was just one of the top MGM old school directors uh, at Mm -hmm. American in Paris, The Bandwagon, just... He's wonderful. Uh, and this film doesn't really fit the v- Minnelli style because Minnelli was actually an interior designer and he loved, you know, beautiful sets and, and costumes and just really, really making intricate technicolor films. This is not that. It's a black and white movie. And actually, this right. was more of like an assignment for him um, where they were just like around this time in 1950, I think these movie studios were realizing there was a big niche for family films. Cheaper by the Dozen also came out this year. Mm. And so MGM just wanted to get in the game, got the novel by Edward Streeter and pretty much turned it into a movie. And they filmed it like on schedule, just no issues, no like stories about anything going crazy or last minute rewrites. And it made them a shitload of money. And they actually filmed the sequel to this movie before the first film was released. And the sequel is Father's Little Dividend. Um, oh, so fun fact. So yeah. this one also has a sequel. Yes, this did have a sequel because uh, people just love wholesome content at the end of the day. Right. Uh, I think that's definitely something Americans are particularly fond of. So 
Uh, yeah, so this stars Spencer Tracy, and it kind of was tailor-made for him. The story goes that actually Jack Benny was in the running, and Jack Benny used to be a huge radio and television personality, someone I, I am quite fond of. And had Jack Benny starred in this film, you probably would know who Jack Benny is, but I'm going to assume you don't know who he is. Not a single clue. Yeah, he never really got a big movie break like this. And uh-huh. he didn't get this role because even though he landed those comedy parts, he did not nail the dramatic parts. And you kind of need an actor that can do both. And Spencer Tracy was not known as a comedic actor before this. He was pretty much a dramatic. He was he did everything. And that's what his mm-hmm. he was known for in his career. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, once he he became available for the project and accepted it, that's it. Like it's Spencer Tracy's. And we have co-starring Joan Bennett as his mother, uh, as the mother, Ellie Banks. Spencer Tracy stars as Stanley T. Oh, Banks. Is that, I, I, have I seen her in anything before? Or You might have. Let's see. She looks familiar, but I, she could just have that face that like just looks like. Yeah, I, I think I don't think we've watched a Joan Bennett film for the podcast. Okay. And if we haven't watched it for the podcast, you probably haven't seen a Joan Bennett film. Have you seen Suspiria, the 1977 film? Yes, I did. Uh, she Well, uh, albeit much older, she was in that. Was she one of the dance instructors? One of the coven members, yes. Okay, okay, I got it, got yes. it. Uh, and we have, as the daughter, Kay, you know, because we have the father, we have the mm-hmm. bride, we have a young Elizabeth Taylor. Yes, I didn't know it was her until just now looking at the Wikipedia page. You didn't know it was her when you watched the movie? No. Wow. But I don't, I don't, Elizabeth Taylor is not someone who is constantly on my mind. So like. She doesn't have to be constantly on your mind for you to know what she looks like. No, I know what she looks like old, right? With the white diamonds commercials, but I didn't, I didn't know what she looked like young. I know we saw a film with Elizabeth Taylor, right? It was like Little Women. Yes. That, yeah. And even then I, I, I can't, I, I I don't remember what she looked like. So you're telling me you haven't really seen Elizabeth Taylor movies? No. What other wow. Elizabeth Taylor movies are there to watch? I, that was insulting, <laughs> first of all. I just feel like uh, gay, I just, gay, the gay agenda has changed because I thought Elizabeth Taylor was an icon, and you're telling me... Elizabeth Taylor is an icon because of her white diamonds. Okay, yes, and her you know love life of her eight husbands. And her love life, seven. yes, that's right. But also her movie work. I mean, she's a really good actress. Uh, and she also was in films that like addressed things like homosexuality before Hollywood oh. films actually was making that acceptable. I mean, you've never okay. seen her in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or... Oh, wait, no, I have seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but she was older. Yeah, she was older. That wasn't, that was not like, this is like a young Elizabeth Taylor. Yes, she maybe. has her, so she actually grew up an mm. actress. Uh, she was working since 1944 in a film called National Velvet, which is uh, a film about a, a girl on a horse. And she was she was in musicals, okay. yeah. Uh, she it was she was family centered actually, and she went okay. to school on the MGM lot along with along the likes of Judy Garland and and Mickey Rooney and stuff. Uh, so wow. she very much grew up in that world, which is probably why she became the person she became. And it's funny mm-hmm. because around 1950, she got married to her first husband, Conrad Nicky Hilton, and they used that wedding as a tie-in in a way to promote this movie, which is also some say why the movie was so successful. Mm. Um, and I think MGM like helped pay for her dress or ordered her dress or something. Oh, um, that makes sense, right? Like, why not? Yeah. Like, it's good promotion. You know, why, don't ha- 
Yeah, one hand washes the other. Yeah, exactly. So this was a big turning point for Elizabeth Taylor, too, because she's now no longer a little girl. She's an adult. And she very next year, she went on to star in a film called The Place in the Sun, which is actually a very, very good film. And mm-hmm. definitely made that transition from child star to leading woman pretty easily. I found her so annoying. Really? You find yeah. everyone in older movies quite annoying. You found Catherine Can, Hepburn they, in Little Woman very annoying. Ca- that one, You have to give me that one. She was so annoying. It's a different she era. Was, it's a different type of acting. Because even, even Eddie was uh, had enough of her at that point. <laughs> she definitely was at 100, but I, I love Catherine Hepburn. Uh, I don't. I didn't find her annoying in this movie, but I no, also oh didn't. Oh my god! Oh, she was so whiny. Hmm. Yeah. And that's a character, obviously. Not. I'm not talking obviously about Elizabeth Taylor, but like it was a whiny character, and I hated her. But I also, I kind of hated everybody to be. Quite oh, you honest. hated everybody. Okay, I did. Well, so this Banks family. There's three of them. It's the oldest, Kay, and her two younger brothers, Tommy Banks and Ben Banks. One of them played by. Oh, I was going to say it's like there's more than three. They were her brothers, also. Yeah. Yeah. The three children, I three mean. Three children, yeah. Uh, Russ Tamblin is actually Tommy, if you didn't realize that was Russ Tamblin, who plays Riff in West Side Story. Oh, okay. Um, and she's the oldest and arguably her father's favorite, and she comes home one night and tells her parents she's got engaged, and of course the father cannot ha- does not handle it very well. See, the father of the bride, most of these movies are simply about a family unit with a beloved daughter who suddenly announces at quite a young at an expected age or time of her life that she's getting engaged and it's pretty much about planning a wedding and everything that could go wrong especially with the father's role in this uh world mm-hmm. and this right. wedding planning which i find interesting right because i thought wasn't that like what women were raised to do back then like to get married wives yeah like that's what they were i thought that isn't that what like the dark ages which I mean, black and white films was all about like, hmm. it's like, yeah. you must grow up to find a husband. Yeah. I love how you think the dark ages of black and white films, even <laughs> though there was 1900 whole years before that. So believe it or not, <laughs> by the 1950s, people were more advanced. They were like, weren't you going to go to college? And didn't you want to like work a little bit before you did that? Because even though it was expected yeah, at was some there- point for a woman to do that, she didn't have to do it immediately. That work was like what? Being like a receptionist, right? At like a uh, madman type office. Yeah, but at that time, women had some sort of an opportunity, right? Even mm-hmm. if they had very little things, they still should go out and enjoy what they were able to do. Yeah, th- I mean, I guess maybe it's because this is before the feminine mystique <laughs> was written. <laughs> and so I just like assume anything prior to the feminine mystique is just like the Dark Ages also. The for women. I mean, technically, you could make the argument that like, we have re-entered that in the past couple of weeks. You so, could like, make that argument. Yes, yes. Have have things changed much since since nineteen fifty movie? It's so funny because when I watched it, I was like, "This feels more contemporary than I expected it to." Did you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Which is why you're also a, you're also a woman. I'm a woman, but I also feel yeah. like there's a huge kind of um, conservative renaissance happening within our culture because we've made too much progress oh, yeah. and anytime we make too much progress if you take like two steps forward they're like you have to take 10 steps back um right. and so there are a couple of things where i was like oh wow i just i just didn't think that a film of 1950 i would be like wow i recognize this and i relate to this i would expect it to be really dated and just i mean even me who watches a lot of black and white movies 
I watch these films and sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, can't relate to that. Something I don't know anything about, you know, not like it's fine. I recognize this as a time in in history, but it isn't Uh a reality for me. So it was I just found myself uh, experiencing that, which is new for me, for someone who watches a lot of old time stuff. Yeah, I can't say that I related much to any of these films. Um. We could talk about the the HBO Max original, but obviously for very different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Like, because I'm, as the male of the family, like, I don't think my parents ever planned my life around a wedding as mothers usually do with their daughters. Mm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a very common thing that is still perpetuated by society, right? Like a mom wanting her daughter to have like this big lavish wedding. Uh, as we talked about in the cold open, I just don't know necessarily like, just from, conversation with friends who had had weddings and stuff like they have had it's no longer like the bride family pays for everything yeah right? like ha- now things have because, changed yeah because yeah because they're so expensive well uh true um you know weddings are the most lucrative business and and that like per- period for at least like middle and lower class people like this is how you make bank <laughs> this is a really good market for people to get into and yeah. this is like I think in one of these movies, someone says the two most important moments of your life is when you get married and when you die. Or is that in a different film I watched recently? Maybe. Um, I don't remember that line. But yeah, I think I'm confusing it with a different 1950s film I watched recently. Oh, yeah. Imitation of Life. Um, Yeah, it sounded very similar to that line. It's like your best days with a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Yes. But people are gung ho about weddings. Because they literally feel like this is supposed to be one of the biggest, most extravagant, fun days of their lives. And I think the reason I found it so relatable is because I have a lot of experience in the wedding industry myself. Mm, yeah. I mean, even as someone who planned his own wedding and stuff, but I was, I, I went, I went for, I was like the bride in the 1951 who was just like, I just want like a cheap, small wedding, mm-hmm. which I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like 120 people is actually a relatively small wedding. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, because I've been to weddings where like you're just like one of like 300, you know? Yeah. Um, To me, I would consider a small wedding to be less than 100, personally. That's like a micro wedding. That's like, why even bother? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, because the point of having a wedding is to do it in front of everybody lavishly. I think the point of a wedding is to show off your taste. Not even, not, not, not your wealth. But your taste. See, this is, to me, the point of a wedding is to make a financial and uh, governmental, I guess, agreement between two people who will just That's want the to... point of the nuptials. The nuptials. The nuptials are not the wedding. The wedding is the cocktail hour and the reception. Right? Mm. You know one cares about the fucking ceremony. Even Eddie, oh, every time we've been invited to a wedding... Sorry, guys. If you invited me to a wedding, here's the truth. Eddie always tries his hardest to make me miss the ceremony because he just doesn't care. Oh, wow. We're just there for the free food and drink. It's true. And most people should just be uh, invited to the reception part of it because that's what everybody comes for. So it's uh-huh. it's so interesting what weddings have become and it and it was seeing that that it was like that in the 1950s was just to mm-hmm. me surprising. Um, so essentially the different things that the Banks family goes through is first acceptance of the fact that this is happening and they can't really do anything about it um as the father of the bride the tradition has always been that you have to pay for it so spencer tracy's character stanley who i think is just like a a banker he lives pretty 
uh, I guess yeah, he's like upper middle class. upper middle classy upper middle fine. Um, uh, but he still is like, oh, this is a lot. But he's a very proud man, and so I loved how they were talking. This is a lot, three eighty per, per like it was like an extra three eighty for something, three dollars and eighty cents, three dollars and eighty cents per head. You know, which, is that what it was? Yeah. It was just like it's like I wish. I, I know, seriously, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I wish I knew what like the numbers were back in the day because yeah, it's like nowadays it is three hundred eighty dollars. Like adjust that to like- twenty and twenty. 2022 uh, prices. I would love to know mm-hmm. that. Okay, so beat by beat, here we go. Hang on, let me go. Uh, it is the father has uh, reservations about the wedding and the upcoming nuptials. Then they will eventually meet the family and discover that the family is wealthier than they are, which always kind of they will offer to pay, which always upsets the father of the bride because that's not what tradition dictates. And uh, therefore, the father of the bride takes on all this, uh, I don't know, uh, puts it all on his back. And uh, despite the fact that he will try to weasel his way out of it, like whether trying to persuade the daughter to not get married or push the family to, you know, not the family to break up, but like the couple to break up. Not necessarily push him to break up, but like if there's a moment when there'll be a moment when the bride will not has decisions to like not go through with the wedding and it's up to the father to decide whether or not it's like okay yeah do that or don't right and he usually comes around and like has them you know walk down the aisle and they have a wedding and all is safe by the way three dollars and twenty cents was thirty eight dollars and eighty one cents today that's how much it would have been worth oh you, you actually still, did that yeah i I googled it yeah i checked it out and that's i think that's still ridiculous like thirty eight dollars like that's for I don't know. That's like for the accoutrement. Wow. You know? That's how <laughs> outrageous prices have gotten in this country. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So that is pretty much that's it. Uh, so what did you think about the dynamics between this family or like the representation of family struggles in the 1950s? You say it's not relatable. Nothing of it was relatable. I don't I just didn't. So outside of the fact that the father was very, very awkwardly overprotective of his daughter like there was nothing he went through the list of all her boyfriends that she's had in the past which also surprised me i didn't know that women were allowed to date around that much prior (laughs) your ideas of what (laughs) i know like my ideas of what uh of what the past is like is based off of like archie comics i guess you know (laughs) or norman rockwell uh, paintings it seems yeah uh so yeah he just didn't like her i don't know like so, again, this was my confusion. It's just like she's not like that. Like, yeah, she she can she can go off into pursue to have a career, but like you're as the mother pointed out, it's like we did the same thing. Like I was her age when I got married to you. Why? Like why? I don't know what media has like this like constant need of like making these fathers like these like patriarchal figures who have to really let go. They really make they put their daughters on such a pedestal, which I think is such a dangerous thing. And uh, seeing even back then, I'm just like, wow, it was just like, it was even prevalent like in the 1950s. That didn't surprise me. Uh, the fact, I don't know, the mother wanted her daughter to have this nice wedding too. I don't know. Like, I just, I just think it was just like, okay. Maybe it's because I had seen the 1991 Father of the Bride way back when. So, like, it, it wasn't, like, all that unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just didn't, I don't know. Yeah, so, you know, the parts that I thought were pretty crazy was how much, at some point in this movie, 
the wedding becomes so important to the parents, particularly the mother, that it mm-hmm. overwhelms her child. Right. I think that's true to this day. I think that other people's opinions influencing the couple and like ideas of what other people think you should do for your wedding or what they want you to do for your wedding is still very prevalent. I would agree. Um, and I think that having like making sure that, you know, a girl has in a dream that she's lived, had for her whole life, you know, is something that every bride everywhere can relate to. And I also think is one of the things that I can't stand about the wedding industry is this idea that people have in their heads of what the perfect wedding should be and like almost becoming, that's where you get the term bridezilla-ish about it if it's not that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's right. more so today. I mean, I would not say that Elizabeth Taylor's K at any means was a bridezilla. I think that everyone around her was pressuring her to make this wedding bigger and better. And so I thought that right. was interesting. But other than that, the movie is not by today's standards incredibly uh funny i would say i would maybe maybe that's what it is yeah like it's just it's it's not very funny like and the the 1991 movie pretty much takes this template and copies and pastes it with adding a lot more like ludicrousy and i guess i don't even want to say diversity but it changes things up especially when it comes to the wedding planner but there is Mm -hmm. one sequence that i actually thought was pretty entertaining where he has an engagement party at his house, but he doesn't even get to oh, enjoy it yeah. because he's too busy mixing cocktails making and drinks. making drinks for everyone the entire night. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's what it is like to have a party. And it is having a reception. I, I mean, too. I can relate to that, yeah, I, guess. I can definitely relate to that. And the reception, too, was just like so crazy. You could barely walk around and just like everyone coming in. It's like, oh, I don't even know you. Who are you? Welcome. Um, just like the extravagance of it all and just wedding crashes are a real thing i remember actually edited a, a wedding video once and i had this whole dance portion and then the bride and groom were like hey this is great except there's a bunch of clips of people that we don't know <laughs> the oh really <laughs> it's incredibly easy to crash a wedding you could just just nice and just walk into cocktail hour oh i was assuming i just assumed see i didn't think wedding crashes i thought it was going to be people like plus ones of the couple of like their invite of invitees if they don't know it, I mean. it could be that yeah but i mean yeah. if you don't know the person that they're dancing with then that's a problem that's true i mean that's also true uh and this movie is also narrated by uh stanley so you know it's very much his movie at the end of the day like this movie well, has a lot it's his title it's his title and most of these movies are like they're about the parents or not about the children and stuff so it's very more concerned with the parents roles and kind of like oh them making it them realizing that they're making it too much about themselves and that they got to make their family happy and all this stuff right and actually right. there's this one sequence where he tries to convince his daughter like if you want to elope i'll give you money to do that because he's realizing how expensive it's going to be that he'd rather uh-huh. his daughter just go off and elope so i had a friend who was getting married and the bride's parents offered him money it was just like we will give you we will give you the amount of money that we're gonna put in towards this wedding uh for you to not get married. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was no, it was it was we'll give you the amount of money so you guys have a, a down payment on a house, right? Uh. And when the bride found out, she was livid because she wanted the wedding. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there we go. And uh yeah. Yeah, other than that, the movie's an hour and a half. You get in, you do the thing, you get out. That's it. 
it's I think it's a perfectly fine film as I think that all iterations of this are perfectly fine again it's not my genre I'm not like a family comedy enthusiast but the sexual politics that do that well not how do I say this the gender the gender gender conformity the norms but also like yeah the way that fathers feel about their daughters it the questions that that always bring up and especially the first two films is really mm-hmm. interesting to try and dissect because yeah the, men always kind of talk about what it is to have a daughter or like anytime that they try and like get into you know political debates about gender issues and stuff it's usually because mm-hmm. oh be the father of a daughter you'll understand like it's more important to be a father of a daughter than it is to actually be a woman or <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's a fair point right but that's because so many of our decision makers are men it is exactly see that's exactly <laughs> the world works from the point of view everything is always from the lens of the man which is why these right. movies always are getting made remade because for some reason we put the the POV of a man in such high mm-hmm. esteem. We've never, we're never going to get mother of the groom. We're never going to get it mainly because the tradition is not that she pays for it, but also we just people quote unquote, don't want to see movies about women. Right. Something that we're I mean, trying yeah. to change. Like, is that true? Like, some, are all like, are, are predominant rom-coms usually from the point of view of the woman though? Well, rom-coms though are, are they not designated to be women movies? Chick flicks. Okay, that's fair. Okay, fine. <laughs> now, of you course, got me there. look, I'm say- I'm not saying that this is still true to this day. We are changing, but for the longest time, and in some ways, you know, there is this uh, hesitation to to not. It's like watching a movie about minorities through the POV of a white person. If you're gonna tell a story about, you know, the, it's like Dances with Wolves. You have to tell it from the man's point of view or the white man's point of view, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of the interesting things that all three of these films kind of bring up is this is a father's relationship and like the almost like how important it is to a man to be protective of his daughter, whether or not the daughter wants you to be or whether or not the daughter is expects her father to have that role or is even willing to accept that. It's more about him. Am am I making sense? Yes, you are. No, like it's it's like as the movie says, it's about the father's bride. And the whole film is about his feelings. Like, oh, my God. Oh, it's so yeah. expensive. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, I didn't like when his wife was just like, I wanted a wedding like this and you never gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I didn't know because I just wanted a small thing. You know what I mean? It's all me, 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 me. <laughs> and you know what's in? You can't spell men without me. Right? Oh, hey. Yep. Did I make that up? I'm going to put that on a shirt. I like that. You should put that on a shirt. Um, it's in- I don't know what it means, but it sounds right. <laughs> um, but the film, I think, at least the 1951, before we move on to the 1991 film, it kind of makes fun of it, but it, not in a self-aware kind of a way. And I think that's something that the 1991 film wants was trying at least to do a little bit more of which is like okay like yeah we see the weird roles that men like fathers feel about their daughters and stuff especially when they get married maybe we should make more of a parody of that but also like a sweet and genuine film and that was like kind of the balance that they tried to make with 1991 Mm -hmm. but the the benefit of the 1991 film is that a woman co-wrote the screenplay 
And she's one of the oh. most prolific, actually, female filmmakers. His, her name is Nancy Myers. Nancy Myers, I think, mm-hmm. has is someone who has kind of transcended the romantic comedy to be more than just like the chick flick genre. Um, she did, she did Sleepless in Seattle. No, no, no. That is Nora Ephron. Oh, whoops. She's kind of defined that genre with When Harry Met Sally okay. and Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, You've got yes, male. Yes. Nancy Myers has done Something's Got to Give. The holiday. Oh, it's complicated. Yeah. She's, you know, she's like expanded the genre. It's like, well, older people fall in love too, you know, <laughs> divorced people with, and like people with grown ass children. Now, of course, very uh, rich white upper class white people stories, but nonetheless. I mean, yeah, but there's still old people stories which deserve to get told. They do, yes. Uh, and I, I actually, do, I do like something's got to give though. No, Nancy Myers films are perfectly fine. I mean, she's got this aesthetic to her. So this was, though, before she became a filmmaker, she co-wrote it with the director of this movie, mm-hmm. Charles Shire. And I don't know if she was married to him or not. I think maybe. Uh, don't quote me on that. But yeah, wow. they, they wrote Spreading this. Spreading gossip about these I uh, think celebrities. So. Yeah, let's let's set this, this dish out on uh, Nancy Myers. <laughs> so 1981, uh, we were alive for that, but we were just babies still watching Disney movies mm-hmm. and Beauty and the Beast. So, right. but did you grow up watching did that, this? Did that come out? Yeah, Beauty and the Beast uh, came out in 1991. Did I? Uh, I didn't necessarily grow up because it wasn't like I was watching this to be because I sought it out. It was just something that would get uh, syndicated on Channel 11, which I watched a lot. So mm, that's, why, yeah. that's why I grew up watching it, but it wasn't like, I don't know. It's not like a touchstone memory in my book. It was just entertaining to watch. Yeah. So I've never seen this film until very, very recently. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a cute film. Which is really interesting because my mother and my sister, I'm sure, have both seen this movie and they both love this movie. Yet, where was I? I don't know. Like, they've seen it for years, but I guess I must not have been home that day when they watched it or have rewatched it. Um, and it's weird how this movie has always escaped me until recently. But yet, I knew so much about it. I knew about Martin Short as the wedding planner. Who, I mean, Martin Short and uh, Steve martin together i mean always just a winning combo i mean yeah. that's why i can't I, i've been loving their show that they have uh only murders in the building yes yes yes. They have such great chemistry they do yes and most of their three amigos is also quite good see i'll watch three amigos before mm-hmm. i'll watch father of the bride but um yeah i hadn't seen it until recently which is also a bummer because diane keaton's in it and i love diane keaton yes. but diane keaton is not given a lot to work with in this movie it's true like Diane Keaton here is mostly just like uh uh George, you need to like get on board with this wedding. That's her role. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Constantly. Pretty much just like copy and paste, kind of wallpapery, and really annoying because you have fucking Diane Keaton in the role. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about Woody Elmers, but if you've ever seen Annie Hall, you know how fucking great this actress is and you're just giving her shit. If you've ever, I mean, Diane Keaton took this role, so she must have known like, what it was. Maybe she was like, I just want to play someone bland. Yeah. <laughs> she never does. Yes, maybe. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The First Wives Club? No. Uh, I've only seen the commercial many times. Well, there's this great scene where she realizes her husband's cheating on her with her therapist who encouraged them to get back together. It's all sorts of fucked up. And she has a mental yeah, break. Super fucked up. She has a mental. You should Google this. Uh, YouTube this scene. She has a mental breakdown when she screams on the top of her lungs, apologizing. So she does the whole thing where like women always feel like they have to apologize. Mm. But she's so angry that she's screaming her apologies it's fucking iconic honestly interesting i think like i saw bob the drag queen recently did it at a show because it's oh, really? <laughs> so good 
Uh, and I'll, I'll send that to you on Instagram. But anyway, what a what a miss. They had Diane Keaton. They didn't really use her. Again, these are the men's movies anyway. So uh, we have the Banks family here. But instead of it being Stanley and Kay, we got George Banks, played by Steve Martin, mm-hmm. Nina Banks, played by Diane Keaton, and their daughter, Annie. And Annie is 22, just was away in mm-hmm. Italy for four months, and has come back and announced that she's engaged to yeah. some guy she met in Italy. And right, I mean, what a what a dream. Although there's a famous TikToker who basically lives that life. Oh, really? She she made she met like some uh, hot Italian guy. Now they have like a TikTok together that both Eddie and I cannot stop watching. Wow, I forgot their names already, but basically it's always, it's just making fun of his otherness, his like his uh, accent and like oh. trying to pronounce English words. Like when he tried to say skyscraper, he said skyscratches. Really, it's funny. That sounds yeah. hilarious. It's it's uh, you know you had to watch them to understand, and I'm sure our listeners out there know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, no, Maybe. they're all avid know. TikTok users. I'm sure. I hope TikTok is the shit. So this movie is very much the original. It's to the point where it also opens up with a narration, and we forgot to mention that the 1951 opens on the night of of the, the wedding. wedding, right? So he's like there in a just messy reception hall which is actually his house, uh, talking to the camera. And that's exactly mm-hmm. how the 1991 film begins as well. Um, right. And Steve Martin, you know, in the 70s was just a goofball. I mean, he was in The Jerk. We know him from his Saturday Night Live things that he did in the 70s. He was just, he was crazy, wild and crazy guy. But in the 80s, mm-hmm. he started, you know, actually, he started doing different films like Roxanne and stuff. And he started toning down that kind of personality and becoming what we kind of know Steve Martin to be now. So he was really the perfect guy for this role mm-hmm. to be like a, a, an endearing, genuine father, but also like just completely absurdist and, yeah. and just okay. wacky situations. I mean, definitely wacky situations. Yeah. Not as wacky as like I would call them, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, especially when they go and meet the, uh, their, the other, be, pa- the other family. The other family. I guess yeah. that's probably the wackiest. That would be, yeah, definitely the most embarrassing for sure. Um, but, you know, this movie also really wants to be genuine. And from the moment it, that she tells him, oh, I'm going to get engaged, he, like, looks at her. And then, like, the next shot, she's, like, a five-year-old telling him that. Right. You know, so it's, like, he's constantly looking at her and he always sees, like, her as a baby and stuff. Yeah, he infantasizes her. Yes, and so it's interesting because at one at sometimes it's like, oh, how sweet. And it's like, oh, you know, like I'm not a parent, but I have a niece and nephew. And it's like, oh, my God, it's going to be I'm just going to be such a wreck when I watch them grow up and all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like this is a grown person who is more than just your child now that mm-hmm. you need to respect. And it's right. it's interesting because as a parent, it must be really hard to toe those lines. I cannot say I am not a parent. Right. But, you know, the movie does try and like toe that line where it's like oh my gosh this is my baby and just yesterday I held him in my arms but they're grown adult and all that stuff do you think it successfully did that I think it did because I don't know like I I think maybe right from the get go when we see that visual cue it's like being spoon fed to us like obviously this is how he sees her but they kind of go with that like he's constantly with that struggle of realizing that she is her own woman yeah. And she is allowed to make these decisions because he's just he's really just overprotective, right? Like mm-hmm. he just wants what's best for her and uh, it just shows in I don't want to say problematic ways, but you know, I guess 30 years later we could look at him and be like a little problematic. Like he's very very uh 
well, maybe not problematic might be a strong word, but I, I don't know. Overbearing, for sure. Overbearing, yeah, that's a good word. I mean, so there's a scene in Moonstruck where it's like, why do men, you know, cheat? And it's because they fear death. And like most of our actions can be. <laughs> Is that why? Yeah, that's according to Moonstruck. That's like the famous <laughs> joke. Uh, most of our actions could be because we're afraid of death. Maybe he just doesn't want his daughter to grow up because he's one step older, one step closer to the grave, right? I guess. So, that's, that's, uh, you know. It's it's but, a it's a theory. <laughs> but know? both George Banks say this, right? When uh, there's a scene in both films that I think always that does work, and that's when uh, it's the father telling the daughter, yes. oh, put on a jacket. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she doesn't listen and then when the other guy says put on a jacket yeah, when her fiance does, says it yeah is that feeling of just like oh no i am no longer like i don't know you could read that as like obviously like i am no longer like that man the in man her in life. her life yes mm-hmm. you know but then it also becomes just like but now she's also not listening to me she's i am no longer the alpha male you know what i mean yeah i no longer have the control or like the input over, yeah, yeah that over, i used to yeah. well you know it's interesting because like and weddings, you have your first dance, and then you dance with your parents, right? So it's it is kind of like this passing down of like my role in your life is now going on to the others. So it and we could get really Freudian if we wanted to, <laughs> but it mm. it is also like you know like uh, what did he feel competition, you right. know, for like the the role in his daughter's life by mm-hmm. this guy, you know, like yeah. what was it, or did he want to see himself? Like sometimes people want like, oh, you remind me of me, you know, like they want that their child significant other to be like them. You know, it's 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 interesting. Yeah. And despite the fact that they never realize that this child has become them. them. Yeah. Yeah. And usually the worst traits. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know this from experience because Eddie constantly calls it out. He's like, oh, my God, you are so much like your mother sometimes. I'm just like, don't ever <laughs> say that. I will. <laughs> I will leave you. <laughs> yeah. But I am glad you brought that scene up. I was going to bring that scene up because I do think that's a really good example um, of kind of like what the like the comedy and the, the sympathy that the films uh-huh. are both trying to get out of their, their audience. And and yeah. I guess for someone who just doesn't fit any is, of those bills, I always see those scenes. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. Which is funny because like it's almost verbatim from the 1950 film. And yet... I think it's just Steve Martin's performance and like his delivery of the line that just made it funnier. Mm, yeah. In my opinion, like I think it was just a delivery. Like he, I think he, he said it's like, Oh no, like almost like that. Like almost like, it's like shock. It's just like, this is it. Where the other guy kind of played is like, this is it. This was a moment. Yeah. When I'm no longer the man in her life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I guess this is where delivery comes. And I don't know. I mean, Steve Martin is pretty endearing. I think so, film. yeah. I think Steve Martin's pretty uh, convincing in any dramatic moments. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting because for every dramatic and heartfelt moment, there's a wacky moment to the point where uh, George Banks lands in jail, essentially, at one point. Oh, that's right, yeah. Flipping out about the, uh, the, the hot, hot dogs. dogs yeah. And the hot dog buds, which I think is something that people still bring up all the time. Uh, I think they do that just because, like, you know, sometimes, I don't know, you want extra bread. Yeah. <laughs> I use it. I use it to dip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at barbecues. Um, but I don't know. If your father landed in jail, I mean, I, and they were like freaking out so much over you getting married, like I'd I'd probably be a lot more upset than than Annie was with her father. Um yeah, but like it's interesting because 
this George Banks isn't he's going through a breakdown, but it's not about it's so much less about Annie at this point or yeah, it's really just him. It's like really coming to terms with just like letting go. It's really a letting go thing. He's just uh, it's not like I think like yeah, he he makes those snide remarks about like oh he doesn't approve of like the the guy she's with because he didn't know him. Mm. But it's really that's not it's not that's not what this is about. It's really just about like him letting go and that fear of letting go. Right? And like so that's where he has like his like his his breakdown moment and uh uh you know, Diane Keaton's character calls her him out for what it is. It's just like you need to just get on board. Yeah. You, you need know. to stop telling people how much it costs. You need to stop complaining. You need to stop making it about you. Right. She does. Yes, you're right. Which we were just complaining about the 1951. It's all me, 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 me. Here she's just like, well, you stop that. This is about her. Yeah. And technically also Diane Keaton because she wanted like a she wanted a nice big wedding for mm-hmm. her daughter also. Mm-hmm. The big thing that this movie does differently than the first one is that when it introduces a wedding planner, which the first movie does do with Leo G. Carroll, they don't use it as a comedy thing. Right. Like a moment to enter in a new comedic character. And this movie does do that with Martin Short as Frank Egelhofer. Frank. Frank Egelhofer. So uh, nowadays, this this would never happen where a person is doing an accent or an impersonation, if you will. Do you think... Why? That's so wrong. Like, I know, right? Well, I'm just saying... Accents are funny. I constantly doing accents hey, in, when I role play. You know? <laughs> oh, no. I mean... Not good. I love doing impersonations of, of people and stuff, but it's just not commonplace. So in a day and age where, you know, we're like taught that these things aren't good anymore, do you think Martin Short's performance has aged well or bad? I thought it was fine. I did. I think Maybe it's because perfectly I've seen fine. This one. I thought it was fine. Like he's not because the joke. The here's the thing, right? He's not. I I can't like classify where his accent comes from. Mm. So it's also it's kind of nondescript. But also the joke isn't necessarily the accent. It's the overall performance, right? It's about the lavishness. It's about like him really pushing this agenda for the wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take it's not. The accent itself isn't what is funny. He's not using the accent, right? That's the thing. I think sometimes when you make, when you use, do impersonations of other accents, if the joke is the accent, that's where it's fucked up. However, if you're doing the accent to still make a, a pointed reference about something else that is funny, then, you know, you know, you use the accent as a crutch. Okay. But like, it's not, you have to look at the whole package. And that's what I think you have to look at with uh, uh, Martin Short's performance here. He's not. He's not making fun of anyone. I mean, you might be, he's a little queer coded, I guess, but you don't know for sure if he's queer. He's just, he could just be very, very metrosexual back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean. European, as they said back then. I agree. Although I was expecting to laugh more. I'll say that. Because Martin Short's outlandish. He's so theatrical. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what he does. He he does in person. He's never really Martin Short. He's Or if he is, he's like to a thousand. Um, right. And so I guess with that, I was just expecting it to be slightly funnier. That's right. You um, only recently saw this. I did so only like, recently yeah. see this. I, yeah. I think I made it needed to have had, I think I might have needed to grow up on this movie, which I did not. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, the other, keep in mind, like he's not a main, I don't know why he has like top billing in the, in the poster, for example, for father. Yeah. Because seriously. He's, he's in it so little. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, mm-hmm. he's just like, he's literally an ancillary character who is in there to just push the story along. Yeah. You know, and rise up the costs of the wedding. And his assistant, played by B.D. Wong. Oh, that's right. B.D. Wong. Recently yeah, in Jurassic who, World. Um, who, I, actually, I thought was a little funnier than uh, 
than Martin Short at some time. So BD Wong is on the LGBTQ community, right? Or am I making that up? I believe. He- am I confusing that with his character? F- from Law and Order SVU, or is that really real life? I don't know. <laughs> no, he uh, he is. He is. He is. Okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so he's allowed to play an eccentric homosexual. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, other than any other thoughts, what did you think about Annie? Annie was fine. I mean, these characters, the the daughters, can be insufferable she was i think less insufferable than the previous daughter mm, okay because we didn't i don't know she was I, more I, feminist I <laughs> maybe may, in retrospect maybe that's what it is uh mm. but i thought when she had her little breakdown where she's just like oh my god he got me a blender what is that about it's a blender also why is he giving you a gift you know yeah you i actually really appreciated that because it is kind of like oh what do you like what she says, the expectations of what he wants from me and like sees me doing in this marriage freaked me out. It's like, what do you think I'm going to be? Someone who cooks for you all the time? Like, I actually thought that a, was really believable. And I was like, I. A blender doesn't cook, though. A blender blends. But it's a kitchen utensil. It's like a uh, housewifey it, thing. He should have got her. If, now you want to make that point more pointed, that, 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 that scene, you get her a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like most people would agree. It's just like, don't you fucking but leave his ass. I guess yeah. They they wanted it to be something a little bit more subtle. So it's like she immediately yeah. went to that conclusion. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna defend this joke. I think it works. All right, fine, <laughs> uh, fine. That I'll, I'll give the pass. It was I thought it was an overreaction. Uh, but I mean, he was quick to apologize. And stuff, yeah, so. I think. It, but that's the thing. I actually think it it wasn't overreaction just because she had her own like yeah, freak outs about it. About, yeah, that like, just got complete. She projected a lot. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I think that makes sense. Like obviously, yeah, and that's believable. I love when I see people acting stupidly in movies because I'm like, this is so wonderfully believable. You know, Mm -hmm. like I love stupid people because we're all fucking stupid people. Um, Yeah, and but that was like that was it for the most part. I think I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I kind of wanted her to have more conflict with her dad, but whatever. No, because I mean. You want conflict with your parents. You got to watch the 2022. Film. Exactly. What a perfect segue for, that is, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, let's get our HBO Max started and watch this new Father of the Bride movie. It just came out actually about a month ago. We're a little we're a little late on this. It's been streaming since June 9th, I believe. No, it says June 16th. June 16th. There we go. Very, very quietly released, in my opinion. Of course, they did not decide to release this in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen many promotions about it. It's probably yeah, on platforms made for people who are 50 and up, like The View or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why we haven't seen like advertising for it. Yeah, maybe, like, because we're on, probably not the demographic. Right. On older people's Facebooks. Yeah. Getting like, it's like, Father the Bride. <laughs> Gloria Estefan. It's Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This movie that I grew up watching in the 90s. You know, because I guess millennials aren't asking for Father of the Bride. Yeah, right. The, the, the millennials are uh, not even millennials. Like Zoomers are now asking, just like, just give us a raise. Yeah. That's all. They, you know? <laughs> exactly. But we have one. And this time it is a little different because this is an all Latino cast. And it is yes. two Latino families being coming together. Coming together. Ma- uh, 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 the father of the bride's family being cuban and uh the soon-to-be groom mexican yes and uh as a latino myself obviously like i do relate to this idea of 
even though we're all Hispanic, we all have very specific cultures usually derived from our country of origin. Yes. Um, Which is why I think sometimes I think this is like a very uh, I'm just going to say this like politically. This is idea of like, oh, all Hispanics are uh, Democrat. That's not usually the case because like every, you know, like if you go to you can't Democrats do this. I'm just I'm getting political now only because like it's just pissing me off about where we are in this country. But Democrats do believe this just like we're not we can't paint us in one broad stroke. We all have very different cultures. And as a result, we have different beliefs. Cubans, as especially the ones portrayed here, tend to be very conservative, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of uh, political ideology, but also in terms of uh, of their beliefs of tradition. Yep, I and can one hundred percent agree with that. Here. Yeah, I am Cuban, and that is mm-hmm. very true. I <laughs> my family, I did not grow up with a lot of people who uh, who I was like, oh, I'm, I could tell you I'm gay. Um, right exactly so. <laughs> so but it is what it is um yeah so this movie is primarily concerned with the cuban household in miami of course this movie takes place in miami uh I've, obviously the the father's name is billy he is a architect billy herrera with his wife I thought his name was guillermo okay billy i guess yeah no it's billy and his wife ingrid mm. played by played by gloria estefan who is mm-hmm. a very well-known Cuban. I'm pretty sure Andy Garcia is also Cuban, um, but yeah. don't quote me on Andy that. Andy Garcia is Cuban. Okay, cool. Um, uh, I know we usually see him in like Italian roles, but he is yeah. uh, well, he is Cuban. I feel like the people who made this film watched the original, or at least the 1991 uh, Father of the Bride, realized how much that Diane Keaton didn't have to do and was like, we got to give Gloria Estefan more. And so they put this whole B story of the fact that Billy and Ingrid are on the verge of a divorce and they actually agreed they will get a divorce. But because the same night that they're going to announce to their family, their eldest daughter comes and says, her name, Sophia says, I'm going to get married. They decide to put it on hold after the wedding. Which from a story point of view, it, I thought it worked. I actually didn't hate that, that narrative device. I'm just like, Oh, okay. Now we have different stakes. So it's already, I know the movie I'm supposed to be expecting, Mm -hmm. They change it up just a little. Yeah. Enough for me to say it's just like, okay, let's see what you guys do with this and stuff. And obviously, this it becomes a ticking time bomb, you know? Like, obviously, this is going to come. We know this is going to come out and somehow interfere with his wedding. It's just a matter of when. Yes. And how. Yes, exactly. Um, so the how was a little contrived, in my opinion, but, you know, it happened. <laughs> well, this movie also was like, okay, what did the other movies not give us enough of? And they tried to fix that. Um, usually, in both of the other films, there are siblings who don't really get to do much. And they tried to mm-hmm. fix that with giving Sophia a sister who's really close to her in age. And it's Cora. And Cora uh, is very different. She's not, you know, she feels like Sophia is kind of like the... The star the child, child, the perfect child, yeah. did everything right. You know, she's Sophia's a law school graduate and it has uh-huh. a great job. Whereas Cora wants to be a fashion designer, but just got fired from her job. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there's. And let me tell you again, coming from a Hispanic family, this is true. There is always a preferred child. <laughs> <laughs> you know? There's always a child who's living, uh, who who is meeting the expectations of said child and the other one who's just like looks like the black sheep in comparison. I you are the am lucky enough to be. Child, yeah. I am definitely the preferred I child. I am the black sheep of my family. Oh, my so, <laughs> but I feel like everyone accepts me for who I am, which is fine. That's good though. <laughs> That's good. Or at least I'm I'm I am uh, exceeding expectations since the ex- my bar was quite low. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm being really, really hard, uh, making this all up in my head. But I just want to say that the movie begins with actually a flashback about Billy and Ingrid's love story. And young Ingrid is played by Gloria Stefan's daughter. Oh, that's why they looked. I was, I was, uh, I was so curious to know. It's just like, why does she look? She looks so much like her. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah. That's why. And there we go. Gloria Stefan's daughter looks just like her. Um, mm-hmm. Every time I say her name, I have to say her for, like her full name because I just love her name. Glo- of course. Oh, yeah. Gloria no, Gloria Estefan. I mean, she's it's also Gloria Estefan. You put some respect Seriously. behind that name. You know Seriously. What I, mean? uh, I would highly recommend her album, Mi Tierra. It's a fantastic album. If you oh, that is a good album. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. great. I, I, I do listening to her. I love yeah. her. I saw her show on Broadway, too, on your feed. <laughs> oh, me, too. Yeah. I took my mom to see it. I took she, my mom uh, to see it, too. Yeah. We, she, my mom loved it. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, obviously the music just, like, just takes It was back. just the music. It was, like, it was yeah. a whatever story, but I was just, like, for all the songs. So. Plus, that's where I discovered. I didn't know that Gloria Estefan had gotten into a horrific bus accident. Yes. You know, yes. That mm-hmm. almost ended her career. Almost. And the fact that she's still walking is wonderful. So Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remembered when that happened. So Yeah, I didn't. No, but my mom that afterwards was telling me like, "Oh yeah, no, this was a big deal in the Latin community." Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's why I knew about it. It was a big deal. Like the closest happened. thing was Selena dying. I remember when that happened too. Yeah, say that I do remember. Yeah, but so uh, Sophie is going to marry Adan. I think his name is Adan. Yeah, Adan. I I can't remember. Adan. Adan. Um, that's how they pronounce. Yeah, and all these actors like um, I don't really know them. Uh, Diego Bonetta, I feel like I've seen him in things. I just, I, I can't, I couldn't place it. He looked familiar. Yeah, uh, he did look familiar, but I did not know the girl who played Sophia. I did not know the guy, the girl who played Cora. Uh, I, mean, I mean, let me tell you, this is a beautiful cast. Like, yeah, no, everyone's beautiful. And everyone's well off, which is one of the one things I hate about the tropes in uh, the fam coms or the rom-coms is that you can't show Everyone people like, of modest means. Everyone has to like be living really, really rich lifestyle. Yeah, but isn't that part of the fantasy, right? Like, cause I, as I mentioned, it's just like, you know, fathers don't pay for weddings anymore because they're so expensive. That's what the genre has become, I think. Um, but if you look to like when Harry met Sally, I mean, I think that was more of like not so much a fantasy. They were really trying to be realistic in their portrayal of people. Of course, it was all people who lived in New York and stuff, but still. Wait, weren't they like corporate people? Well, she was a journalist, like, which they were like, whatever. Um, no, maybe I'm thinking of the other one. You got mail is what I'm thinking about. Yes, that is very different. That's yeah. the one where there's like corporate espionage. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's like about the little shop around the corner, and yet <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. it's totally flawed, but whatever. Um, Yeah, so, oh, yeah, I know where I know him from. He's in that movie Rock of Ages. Have you ever seen Rock of Ages? No. Oh, okay, well. If you want to watch Tom Cruise sing, and but he played Luis Miguel in the in the Netflix series Luis Miguel, which my mother has watched. Oh, I know there you go, there you go. When she got Netflix, that was the first thing she put on. She's like, I've been dying to see this. <laughs> like, what is? I didn't know. This. For anyone who doesn't know, Luis Miguel is one of these big like Latin American singers, uh, very very popular south of the border. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so Billy, the father of the bride in this movie is really taking his machismo role seriously as the father of his household and, you know, pretty much his, his daughter's going to marry. And he pretty much turns on all of those <laughs> classic, you know, Latin macho things where he's just, like, cold, he's distant, he's way too logical, and mm-hmm. really almost, like, too proud for his own good. And it immediately oh, absolutely. But creates conflict with his family. I saw it, but, again relatable in my opinion of just like oh yeah, yeah i mean I've, 
this, really this man i do know but also kind of like, like oh man i know this like machismo guy for sure like i know who this guy is like yeah he's affluent but it's just, it, i've seen it so many times yeah you know and it's so funny because all the women in his life are just rolling their eyes at him it's like what the fuck are you doing and yet he's like he's persisting he's like no this is this is this is this my is house this is i'm the, putting yeah. my foot down which is also something that happens all the time like when women in the households are always just they they they'll they'll listen but they never put up with yeah you, you know what I mean? yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um and he creates so much conflict especially when we meet the other family and they're Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's going to marry a, a Mexican, you know? and yeah, he's like, yeah. If they were like affluent, he he's like, I build my house from the ground up, up from and the all ground up. Stuff. Uh, then this guy is just like, well, his mansion, <laughs> you know, fits like <laughs> called- three of his houses. Right. He was just like, it's like, oh no, this place is too small for a wedding. Where like again, us millennials and even the young generation is just like, I I can't even afford like a room. Like, I, I get an apartment <laughs> the size of the living room. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, you know seriously. I mean? <laughs> and this is where it actually it, it differs, too, because the thing about, um, I think, my opinion about white people in America is that at least if you aren't from, like, a second or third generation family, like, you're just an, considered an American because you're white. So mm-hmm, there isn't, right. like, a, too much anymore of, like, Irish versus Polish or Italian or, or whatever right. thing. You're just, uh, you're just white now. But racism, to an extent, is pretty prevalent in Latino communities. <laughs> so it's, oh, like... Oh, yeah, no. Like, yeah. you mean within the own, within our own community? Yeah. Right? Like, the darker your skin, like, the more mm-hmm. looked down upon you are? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a real thing in, uh, in the Hispanic community. And it's a big problem. It's because we're, we're, we're not really, you know, like, if you're not white, you know, you're not treated the same way in this country. So you're... You, are going to feel more akin to your culture. So, mm-hmm. and, but of course there will be conflict. So yeah, Dominicans, trash talking Puerto Ricans, <laughs> Colombians time, yeah. and Mexican, like everybody kind of like has like, Oh, like this fucking, these fucking people. So they do and highlight your accent also is like, yes, is like a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I hear, you know, like, I mean, my mother's a wonderful, lovely, not racist woman, but she'll say things like, oh, that's such a typical Ecuadorian thing. I'm like, what are you talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, no, all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I empathize. Uh, constantly having to correct my mom. Like, we don't we don't talk like that yeah. anymore, Bobby. Or like, she'll, cannot. she'll see someone and be like, is she Dominican? She talks like a Dominican. I'm like, what does that <laughs> mean? Um, but so they highlight you that say, in this but movie. But no, no. Hey, God, you're saying, what does that mean? But you know, in the back of your head, <laughs> you know what that means. And, that, and you had to recognize that problem. That it, it, it's, it's just ingrained thing. in us, it's you know a, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, if my yeah. mother says it, then I'm going to be like, oh, that's, that's yeah. how it is. Yeah, because like, you can't, you cannot... It, you cannot pretend it's just like you don't know what they're talking because like we have to admit to ourselves like we of course we know what it is yeah. Be- and that's we have because that's the first step of admitting that that's the problem yes you know just saying <laughs> I become so much more woke after like uh, the Roe v. Wade decision sorry guys no 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 I, I appreciate that Um, but so the Mexican Cuban uh, uh, kind of like conflict is here culture clash yeah but it does kind of take it to you know 11 or a thousand you know there's one scene where he like refuses to even enter his house and start singing the cuban national anthem that was a little ridiculous, i was like but... this is too much um but but it's like it's you know so this whole film is kind of like oh man i get it i see what you're going for relatable but then it just always kind of takes it out of reach and making it a little too wacky or unbelievable for or too cliche for me oh i would agree with the cliche not 
the wackiness was like I don't think this movie was that wacky to be honest. Well, like, you see what this movie wasn't? It wasn't funny. I don't know. I laughed at times. But it could I was also way I found myself like way more sympathetic towards this film than I thought it was because I came in. I came in like I'm just like, ugh, another fucking movie that I have to fucking watch. And then when I was as I was watching it, to be quite honest, like very early on, like I was just like, oh, I maybe it's because I just see myself relating with a lot of these characters. I think that's or, what it is. I've seen them yeah. before. I was just uh, a lot more passive and I was just like, okay, I get it. I do agree. The movie was cliched as hell. Like obviously the sister yes. who wanted to be a fashion designer is going to make the dress. And then, yeah. uh, you know, as I said, it's just like, we know the divorce is going to be that ticking time bomb. It's going to be revealed at a certain point, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe the wackiest part, which I don't know if it's wacky. This is probably realistic is the hurricane that hits and like, kind of like, fucks up all their wedding yes. plans and the wedding planner uh who's not very funny oh yeah the wedding planner was kind of like the lowest low i felt like that was such a caricature yes like the yeah. entitled white girl mm-hmm. sorry yeah <laughs> sorry guys uh but that's what she was she was like the entitled white girl who has never done a wedding planning before and like you know it's the first time conned her way into this job but i don't know i didn't feel bad for her she clearly was affluent, so I'm just like... Oh, no, I didn't feel bad for her, but I didn't find her funny either. She was supposed to be the comedic relief or something. Uh, not, she was. Not funny. Like, you know, when, yeah, like, like when she mispronounces the names and stuff. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like... Or called him Poppy. It was, like, cringy. It was it more was, cringy it was than it was funny. cringy, yeah. But I don't know, but maybe they were going for her to be cringy. Uh, like, maybe that was actually, like, what they were trying to do with her. I guess. Uh... I don't know. I, I can't I can't speak to her, because now as I'm thinking about it, it's just like, because maybe that's... She was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the movie, it towed the line, you know? It's like there were things I could mm-hmm. appreciate it for, and then there were things I was like, oh, why are you being so cliche? Or like, oh, yeah. I've seen this so many times before and done better. Like, why? Mm-hmm. It, I would agree with it you. It did have a lot of potential. And for me, I just really, like, to me, if you're going to pose yourself as a, some form of comedy, then you got to make me laugh. And I chuckled, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I think for me, the movie... It was again. I thought just fine, uh, but I think where it let me down a little was where, at the end, the couple that was divorcing, right, uh, Gloria Estefan's character and Andy Garcia, they start to make men amends with each other, and they're kind of like it's implied that they're gonna get back together yeah. by the end of this, right? Which I thought is just like what a disservice. Like here, you had the chance to actually show like that what not. I don't believe. The statistics that say that like all mar- half of marriages end in divorce is actually not an accurate statement, uh, but divorce is real, and I think this would have been a good moment to have like because divorce is such a frowned upon thing in the Hispanic community because we're so Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are so Catholic that like divorce is so it's still it's still such a frowned upon thing in our community that I thought it's just like here we had a chance to kind of maybe set this film apart where we don't have. The, I think I thought it would have been great if they were just cordial with each other and just accept it's like, but our time is up and that's okay. Mm. We can make peace with this and stuff because we have raised a wonderful daughter, uh, you know. But they they decided to go the the half and go, you know, we're gonna get back together. Well, I guess also for me, I I found it kind of unbelievable because there's one point in the movie when he starts singing the Cuban national anthem where he really embarrasses not only himself but his family when he says he does not approve of the marriage and doesn't not approve of Adnan or something. I can't remember his name. Adnan. Adnan. And it just kind of like comes out. 
And then like his daughter yeah. is the one who has to like put him in his place. Mm-hmm. And he does act kind of ridiculously throughout this whole movie. So I'm like, really? Like what how did he redeem himself in your eyes for you to want to take him back? Like he's he This is a good question. How did he redeem himself? Because yeah. by the end, like uh, he after so when it's revealed that they're gonna get a divorce uh at the rehearsal dinner, I think, uh she walks off, she's gonna call off the wedding, right? That that hits the beat. Wedding is now in peril. Mm-hmm. So he chases after her and they have a talk and I don't know, I guess that was a moment of just like he's come around. But he did come around to 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 Adon Adon prior to that, right? Where he had that one on one talk at the club. Yeah. And he realized like, oh, like she wants to move to Mexico, right? Because that was a big source of conflict that like she wants to move to Mexico or they were going to move to Mexico together. So he felt that like not only was she leaving the country, she's going to like another Hispanic country, right? Like, so he even felt more removed than like the other fathers have felt. But then we come to learn that the reason she wants to move to Mexico is because she wants to help the border crisis that's happening right now. Again, a little, I don't want to say contrived. I think it was a little... On the nose, yeah. it's just like okay, a little, like, a little trying to please the liberals too much. You know, you have already a very. I mean, this movie itself was already pretty liberal, right? So you didn't need to do that. Yeah, I don't. You, we don't need to like. We don't need to make Sophia such a perfect character. Yeah, it's yeah. right. She's already gorgeous. Like we could have. It's okay if she wants to move to Mexico because they offered her a, a high paying job or whatever, or she wants to live with his wealth. I would have been okay with that. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. his family is pretty well off, right? So. But we had to make her, like, again, like, a saint. Uh, but I don't know where I just went with this tangent, other than, like, yeah, I don't know how, how they redeemed him, because yeah. they did. Yeah. Like, other than the fact that, like, he hosted the wedding at his, like, his small mansion. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, is that is that enough? Just, like, making it all happen in, like, their little I place suppose. and making it look beautiful? Yeah. Uh, but we had established that it wasn't enough for her, and she was unhappy, so... It was it was things like that where it's like I don't know this movie feels like it's trying to hit all the beats but I definitely missed yeah. one. I, I so to be honest this is why I think it was released on HBO Max where I think it's just like the movie is fine it's, it could have been better that's exactly but you know what feeling. you're not paying extra for it so yeah. how about it and that and that generally speaking influences how I see a movie I didn't pay extra for this I already have HBO so I was just like okay this is fine. True. <laughs> like, like, I think, I mean, I, for me, I was more so upset with, because my mom was very much looking forward to this movie. This is, has my mom, your mom, she fell asleep. <gasps> oh, I'm curious. Maybe I show my mom. Cause she's a Gloria Estefan fan. And like, this is not a Gloria Estefan driven film. No, this it's is not. a Andy Garcia driven film. Yeah. Um, they gave her a little bit more, but she could have she could have had a fucking song, man. I'm sorry. If you're oh, going to put yeah, Gloria that's Estefan what I wanted to say. I, yeah, I agree with you. Like, sh- give the her rehearsal, a song. She could have like serenade. Was it, and there was like this one scene where they did because there's like a band that one of the family members have uh-huh. like um, the Immortals or something. And a woman sings that's not Gloria Estefan. I'm like, who is she? Mm-hmm. Why is she singing? <laughs> like, there's a, there is a scene. I just it they probably couldn't out. afford her singing fee, you know. Maybe, just... yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I I thought it was fine. I actually I do agree with you. The movie, this film, could have been a lot better. Yeah. Uh, but I don't I don't know. I think it was a worthy attempt to kind of introduce, uh, a new point of view for this story the father of the bride story because you know how we were talking about tradition i don't know how much i know that 
conservative is conservatism is on the rise in uh in, in America, but did we need another white centric story, right? I think by bringing that by showing the Cuban point of view, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm saying Cuban specifically because I think that was like the right choice for this story because of how they do lean conservative. I thought it made for a fresher take on this film. Yeah. Uh, despite again, despite the fact that I thought it was just at best mediocre, uh, at worst cliched. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it's just like I think you know, it had it had the pieces. It just didn't mesh them all together. That's yeah, my I my think. thoughts exactly. Actually, on the film, it had a lot of potential, mm-hmm. and we're almost mm-hmm. there. But you know, I guess just it's nice to see that more and more we're gonna have things that we can look at and be like. I kind of relate that. Yeah. I mean, that, nice. I, it, it was refreshing. Like I didn't think I thought it was going to be a lot more cringy, to be honest. Like I was going to be like, Oh, these are like what white people think Hispanics are like, yeah. but I, I don't know. Like I felt like a lot of the, the characters that came out was just like, huh? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I like some of these things. And, yeah. uh, I, I, it's good. It's just like, all right, cool. Maybe you are moving in the right direction when it comes to me. Well, I, I will say the one thing that this movie probably did best is made kind of like a fool out of the weird male pride thing that these men all exhibit. The machismo. Yeah. yeah. And and like, yeah. And like, I think machismo is a pretty big problem within the Latino community. It's like a oh, unique, absolutely. you know, form of male privilege. Um, So I think it really needed to kind of like highlight that as like buffoonery. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the other movies, they like towed the line between genuine and then like wacky, but like not even the first one. Like he was just like all American dad. Um, yeah. So that was nice. Although this, the new one could have had a little bit more of like that relationship that the other two movies had with like the father with the daughter and like looking at it as like your little baby and not wanting to let them go. But right. you know, you enter in the divorce thing, so it kind of removes all of that. But uh, I did yeah. ap- I appreciate the, yeah. that about this movie. Yeah, I think the divorce angle. I think that was I was I wasn't expecting it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, honestly, I thought it was just like I thought it was like okay, interesting. I think, and it, like I said, it just like it made me kind of say, "You're like okay, this is now a story I haven't seen because it's not like a." A verbatim remake of the other. Yeah, two. it didn't copy and, and paste it, you know. So uh-huh. that was good. it. Tried a little bit different, yeah. so I was just like, okay. Yeah, next time you guys will get it right. So. Yeah, <laughs> I have faith in y'all. You yeah. know what? But that's it. So how would you rank these movies? Um, 1950s at the bottom, 2022 above it, and uh, 1991 above that one. Wow. Okay. How would you rank these movies? Um. I don't know. I uh, might put 1991 <laughs> at the bottom. Oh, really? At the bottom? Well, at least, okay. yeah, because I got to give it to the 1951 for being the template that 1991 kind of stole. Um, I mean, it's based. Isn't it based off of a book or something? Well, yeah, but like, it's still, <laughs> it's still, uh, it felt so similar to the film before it. It's like, why are you doing this? Even if you are a remake, like, do your own thing, like okay. this new one did. I'll put the new one in the middle, and I'll put the 1951 at top. I think we can agree the new one actually is deserves to be in the middle. It's not the worst one, the yeah, yeah. Is that no? By no means is it the worst one. It is definitely not the best one. We have very differing opinions on which is the best <laughs> one. But you're right. I, I but to, I I could be just conflating the fact that like I grew up with the 1991 1991 
one. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm giving it the preferential treatment. Sure. But overall, these movies I thought were just fine, and that's it. Like, the, like Father of the Bride is not one of those things that I just like think about regularly. Yeah. I know even during the pandemic they got together to do like a reading of it, right, or something. They did, yes, they did. And we considered like covering it. I'm just like, I'm never that big of a fan of Father of the Bride, so like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. And then this came out again. And now this came people out. People love the wholesomeness, you know. Maybe that's why this happened is because they're like, well, yeah, it could be. You know, let's let's give a little spin on this wholesome content. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. what did? you guys think did you watch it are you a fan of these movies let us know your thoughts and you can do that by emailing us remakes reboots revivals at gmail.com um uh, instagram at remakes reboots revivals facebook.com slash remakes reboots revivals we are on twitter at remakes podcast uh if you enjoy this podcast you can rank us rate us and leave us a review on apple Podcasts, as each ranking and review does help us tremendously grow Lastly, yes. we do have a voicemail service that you could call in and share your thoughts with. And that and that number is 862-248-2326. That's 862-248-2326. Uh, but can't wait for next week. So we'll, we won't tell you what it is just yet, but stay tuned for that. Are we not saying because we don't <laughs> Do we not no, know? We know. We, know? we know. I guess oh, you we haven't do know. seen okay. it yet, so... Mm. probably not i don't i guess no you you haven't if you haven't seen it you haven't seen it okay (laughs) Um, now i'm curious guys just as you guys are like what is next week yeah tune in next week until then stay Stay unoriginal. unoriginal